But let's cross now to our U.S. Bureau Chief, Simon Marks, for the latest out of the U.S. Hi, Simon. Good of you to join us here in Singapore. Hello. Uh, Good to be with both of you. Thanks so much. Now, Simon, let's just start off uh, with Russia demanding uh, the U.S. and NATO response next week on Ukraine. Yeah, well, this was a week that saw intense diplomacy in Europe. Three separate meetings. The Russians first came face to face with the Americans, then with NATO, then with the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. Uh, But by the end of the week, there had been no forward movement notched up at all. And on Friday, uh, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov laid out demands. He said the U.S. must provide written answers to Russia, uh, including a response to Russia's demand that NATO's door be firmly and forever closed to Ukraine and to other formerly Soviet republics. But on this side of the Atlantic, uh, we heard on Friday from American officials who say they believe that Russia is now engaging in a sophisticated uh, sabotage operation in eastern Ukraine, where there's a large Russian-speaking population. Uh, And they say the Kremlin is planning to create some kind of an incident there that then serves as a pretext for launching an invasion. They say that is exactly what the Russians did in Crimea when they seized the peninsula back in 2014. They say they're using the same playbook. playbook. So, uh, you know, these two countries are now in a very bad place. There's tremendous nervousness here going into the weekend. A tinderbox along the Russian border with Ukraine. Uh, The Biden administration insisting it's ready for any eventuality. It says it will respond to any invasion with what uh, U.S. officials call crippling sanctions here, although they still can't precisely explain why that threat should uh, sort of focus Vladimir Putin's attention, given that he didn't seem uh, particularly constrained by the sanctions that were imposed against Moscow uh, over the Crimea annexation. The Polish foreign minister said this week, Europe is now closer to war than at any time in the last 30 years. And there is no question we could be looking at a really substantial national security crisis if Russian forces cross that frontier. And that is the last thing President Biden wants to have to deal with, because, as you know, he's got absolutely massive domestic issues on his plate all vying for his attention. Absolutely, Simon. So it's been a really bad week for President Biden. Firstly, a U.S. senator has rejected his plea to jettison the Senate's filibuster rule to allow Democrats to pass a voting rights bill. And then the U.S. Supreme Court blocks his workplace vaccine mandate. Yeah, it's been a disastrous week, frankly, Susan, to the point where there are some commentators here who say this was the worst week of Joe Biden's presidency so far. And there are a couple of yardsticks by which we can measure that. I mean, first of all, we saw one opinion poll suggesting that Joe Biden's approval rating has cratered to 33 percent. I mean, that is Jimmy Carter territory. Uh, But also we've seen Hillary Clinton's name suddenly being floated by two Democratic Party strategists who wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal saying that things are so bad at the White House that she should stand by to swoop in and become the party's presidential candidate in 2024, which is an absolutely stunning measure of where things stand. I think that Supreme Court decision on the vaccine mandate, uh, you know, 
the Biden administration knew that was coming. But it is a blow because they uh, said that that vaccine mandate, which required private employers uh, to make sure their employees had been vaccinated or were taking a weekly negative COVID test, they said that was a central pillar of their COVID response. So there's no question that that's a step back. But it is, I think, the voting rights legislation uh, that really once again revealed President Biden's inability to corral his own party members on Capitol Hill. He was proposing to exempt the legislation from rules that require 60 of the available 100 votes in the Senate to pass them into law. Instead, he wanted to pass them with a simple majority. But to do that, he needed the support of a majority uh, of a simple majority in the Senate for the rules to change. And two Democrats turned against him and torpedoed the idea. He was furious on Capitol Hill on Thursday. We saw him shouting in anger as he answered reporters' questions, but he is back at square one. And once again, the public has seen a president who just can't get his priorities moved forward on Capitol Hill because of opposition from members of his own party. Mm, amazing. Hillary Clinton, gosh, blast from the past yeah. there. Um, Simon, let's go to North Korea now. Uh, firing two missiles this week and uh, warning of action now over the US sanctions push. Yeah, I mean, Secretary of State Antony Blinken said those two North Korean missile tests were profoundly destabilizing. And uh, remember, we saw that shutdown of departures from uh, airports on the West Coast uh, last week as one of those tests took place out of an abundance of caution, uh, the White House said. Uh, And there are reports that one of those missiles achieved a speed of Mach 10 becoming hypersonic. Uh, which has definitely concentrated minds uh, here in Washington. Mr. Blinken said uh, the U.S. is ready for talks with North Korea with no preconditions, uh, but he also uh, conceded there are no discussions currently underway. And he suggested that Kim Jong-un might be doing a bit of a Vladimir Putin with the missile tests and uh, this uh, threat uh, to take action over uh, U.S. sanctions, trying to sort of force himself Uh, onto Joe Biden's agenda at exactly the moment when the U.S. leader wants to be prioritizing domestic issues. But there's definite anxiety here uh, about where things are heading on the Korean peninsula. Simon, one last thing to look at before we let you go. California Governor Gavin Newsom blocking the release of Robert Kennedy's assassin from prison. Yeah, Sirhan Sirhan, uh, who, of course, assassinated Robert Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, uh, President John F. Kennedy's brother, uh, in the ballroom of a Los Angeles hotel in 1968, as Robert Kennedy was himself uh, running for the presidency. Um, It was a shock a few weeks ago when the parole board in California recommended Sirhan Sirhan's release. The Kennedy family split over the matter, some saying he'd spent 50 years in prison, he's 77, he no longer poses a threat, but others urging Governor Newsom to oppose uh, the release. And so the governor has ruled uh, Sirhan Sirhan will remain in jail. Mr. Kennedy's widow, along with six of his nine surviving children, said they were deeply relieved by uh, that decision. And I suspect it does indicate that Sirhan Sirhan is now never likely to go free. Uh, He, of course, uh, is a Palestinian who killed Robert Kennedy uh, to protest the senator's proposal back in the late 1960s 
to provide U.S. military planes to Israel. He now says he has no recollection of even committing the crime that put him in jail. But certainly the opposition uh, of RFK's widow Ethel and so many members uh, of Robert F. Kennedy's immediate family have put paid to any suggestion of his release right now and quite possibly uh, for uh, the foreseeable future. So uh, a pretty uh, big and dramatic move that by Governor Newsom overturning that parole board decision. Yeah, absolutely. Simon, as always, thank you so much for joining us here in Singapore, Susan and I, and, and, and keeping us updated. Really appreciate it. And we look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Talk to you again then.